and welcome to the 250, the podcast where most of what follows is true. I'm Jonathan, and with me as always is my co-host Douglas. How are you, Douglas? I'm very calm. You always read the intro in such a calming manner, what? and I come out the <laughs> gate, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, we were just we were doing the Anchorman uh, speech exercise before this, and that's a very different pace. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. You were just like you were so goofy with the Anchorman thing, and then you start, and you're like, "Hello, welcome to the two. <laughs> you always say it like I sound so like I. Don't, <laughs> I got more energy than that. Come on, man. You do, you do. I'm, I'm being, I'm exaggerating. Carry on, so, carry so on. So, if this is your uh, first time tuning into the two five zero, I'm very sorry. Uh, <laughs> we've taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020, and we've begun watching them from number 250 all the way through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 242, is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Butch and Sundance are two outlaws in the Old West. Butch is the brains and Sundance is the finesse. And with the help of the Hall and the Ball gang, they rob banks and trains to their heart's content. After a messy heist goes wrong, the two are forced to flee with their girl Etta to South America. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was directed by George Roy Hill and the screenplay was written by William Goldman. And I actually don't know who this Burt Bacharach guy is. But he did the he he composed the music question mark. Yes, he did. Okay, okay. He composed the soundtrack, and the uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. Oh wait, uh-huh. was that an original piece for this film? Correct. Oh shit! I had no idea. <laughs> really? Did you? Just I think legitimately that they, had no idea. You, did you think that they just whacked it in? I thought of yeah. I thought I've heard it referenced in. Like, I've heard it referenced in other stuff. Yes. It was, yeah, written specifically for the film. Huh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, it's, uh, okay, that's fun. I like that yep. track. Cool. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I'd, I'd heard it referenced in other stuff, and I just thought it was just like a track that people sang or something. Um, shit, all right. <laughs> okay, Bird Bacharach. John's already learning. Bird Bacharach. Uh, uh-huh. uh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, good man. My boy, George Roy, uh, actually doesn't have that much other stuff. Like, directing credits under his belt. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of TV, but not actually that much. I believe... Is there one other film that's directed by George Roy that makes its way into the top 250? There is. It's uh, The Sting. The Sting, okay. That is his, The Sting like, is way, one. way, way down the track, but um, in terms of uh, when we're going to watch it, it's... Um, uh, I'll take a peek and see where it's at on the list, but I know it's, like, in the hundreds, I reckon. Uh, okay. So, Yeah. <laughs> No, a fair while off. 107, there you go. So we're about 100-ish, 120-ish episodes away from from bumping into George Roy Hill again. All right, yeah. So it stars uh, Paul Newman. Uh, he was already a bit of an established actor at this point, mm. I gather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Robert Redford, who was not. Yes. I gather this is what kind of kicked his uh, career off. Most certainly did. Robert Redford was a bit of an unknown name at the time, and George Roy Hill kind of took a gamble on him, uh, mm. so to speak. They originally had Steve McQueen set to co-star alongside Paul Newman, and that was supposed to be the two big heavy hitters, you know, mm. uh, starring alongside one another in a Western. But Steve McQueen dropped out, um, I think due to scheduling conflicts. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. 
but yeah the role got offered to all these people basically every leading man in hollywood there was uh jack lemon uh warren Beatty, marlon brando uh all of these people got offered uh, sundance kid but in the end it uh came down to robert redford and I can 110% say I am very glad it did. It they they mesh so well. I will talk about that a bit a bit later. Um, mm. But they're such a it's it's a fucking buddy cop film with no police in it. It's well, there the, is police, but they're not the police. Yes, <laughs> there's <laughs> um, the 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 comedy which. I guess we'll start with that. I did sure. not expect it to be a comedy film. I actually had no idea what to expect with it. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, which was a very pleasant surprise. Totally. Were you expecting it to be like a gritty Western? I just Yeah, I just thought it would be like a, a quote-unquote normal Western. So Gotcha, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that... that <laughs> I had an inkling. <laughs> the opening, uh, most of what follows is true. I was like... Hmm. <laughs> I think I know what's going you on smell here. smell a rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's obviously comedic uh, first, the, the whole film. And there's that whole buddy cop dynamic where, um, you know, they play off each other comedically. Uh, and that's obviously a big part of the comedy. But they also squabble constantly and like have fights with each other and stuff. And it's all about that relationship is what you know, it's the cornerstone of the film and everything kind of runs off of that. I like how they kind of make jabs at one another. Just, yeah, yeah as you're saying, like, it's it's all very comedic and witty and uh, very well written by William Goldman. Um, all of the little jabs and stuff that each of the characters have at each other is, yeah, really solid. It's so nice. I really, really like it. So, yeah, it's, it's fucking hilarious. Absolutely, yeah. It's, I, I just, <laughs> I have a bunch of quotes, but I don't just want to read them out. Yeah, like yeah, because then it spoils them, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a nice little bit of physical comedy at times too. Yeah, me. yeah. There were some nice little, just little splashes of physical comedy, which I liked. It didn't rely on it too heavily, but it just, yeah, there were those nice little doses to kind of match up with the wordplay and everything, which I thought was nice. A lot of stuff with, um... Uh, yeah, I guess physical comedy as in stuff like people's expressions, uh, yes, word yeah. and stuff, stuff like that. I've, I've got a very good, really good example for it and it's early in the film, but I think we'll leave it to life to the spoilers. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the film also very much surprised me, um, with how fucking pretty it is. Yeah. There's hmm. some amazing shots in it. Um, and it's set in, you know, real... Wild West locations, I guess. South America. And South America. Yeah, in- yeah, yeah. So, so there's just all these amazing vistas and like huge plains and huge mountains and stuff, which is like I think it does a better job at that kind of just like the natural beauty of the American landscape. It does a better job than um, Paris, Texas did. And For Paris, sure. Paris, Texas was a very visually forward film film mm. um so i that super surprised me and there's a lot of really clever stuff with like framing just just kind of not blow you out of the water type stuff but just kind of fun interesting things like following along with people that are moving through like gaps in fences or like uh through trees and stuff in just something that's a bit out of the ordinary 
yeah, it's keeping things that are relevant to the shot within the shot, but presenting it and framing it in a way that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So presenting um, information in a visually intriguing way is, yeah. Mm. And that's a credit to cinematographer Conrad L. Hall, who passed away only in 2003, so oh. um, very recently. But you well, would know his work, Jonathan, for American Beauty. I haven't watched American Beauty. Have you not seen American Beauty? No, stop. <laughs> oh, man. 2003 was a long time ago, by the way. Well, yeah, but it's still... <laughs> I was eight. <laughs> God. You were younger. <laughs> that seven. was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, what else did he do? Road to Perdition, Tequila Sunrise. No, no, these. No. Triggering anything. Have you watched these films? You? I've seen Road to Perdition and American Beauty. Okay. No. Uh, I, <laughs> I have not seen Tequila Sunrise. Um, but uh, you'll be happy because American Beauty is in the 250. So we I'd assumed as much. I, I knew enough about it to. To know that that was floating around in there. Comes in uh, at 75 in the 250. So, again, it's another one that's going to be a little ways down the track, but I, I'm almost happy that we're getting all of these interconnecting uh, cinematography kind of geniuses and stuff that have worked on other pieces within the top 250 because then we'll have these other films and stuff to reference back to and go, oh, okay, so they did this here, but then they also did this here. I think that's really cool. Yeah, you you, you get that whole thing with, like, actual real people who know stuff about movies and they can go like, oh, this is that director this or is that cinematographer. Who when did they the look thing, at one yeah. film and they're like, oh, that person did this and they can, like, judge it preemptively uh, on that and, based on that yeah and i guess you can do that to some degree i cannot I do can, that yeah. at all yeah. <laughs> i'm <laughs> well, very very looking forward to actually having some like l- degree of skill with that i'll tell you what jonathan i reckon about a hundred movies ish in you're going to be able to do that oh is i that think all? with the caliber <laughs> with the caliber of movies that are in the 250 I think, yeah, give it a good 100 movies and then you'll be able to do that. I reckon there's got to be a lot of crossover with a bunch of these Absolutely. Just because the geniuses keep on reoccurring and creating similar masterpieces and things. So it's, yeah, you're definitely going to see a lot of familiar names and familiar faces. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the, the film also does. I, I, this is a first scene thing. So I think it's, I think it's not a spoiler, but it also, it also dips back into it. Um, Mm -hmm. the film does its opening in sepia, um, which, which I thought was just really cool. It's kind of like, um, it's, it's the same sort of concept as, uh, Casino Royale's opening where that's, color grading yeah yeah Casino Royale is like the opening is filmed in filmed with black and white film um kind of uh Hitchcockian like directing style film style yeah um, yeah and this this ties back into that where it's this this sepia that's shot pretty flat and um and it, it jumps back to it later uh in uh, about the middle of the film, and then uh, <clears throat> at another place, which I'm not going to mention because that would be rude. Um, but yeah, that th- there's just like a lot of really interesting stuff for a film that is first and foremost a comedy. There was some just really striking visuals in it. I just didn't I, expect it. 
yeah. thought it was very cool. Yeah. I think in a world of where you've got your Sergio Leone's and your Clint Eastwood's, uh, Sergio Leone did Once Upon a Time in the West, yep. um, Fistful of Dollars, you know, all those are all classic spaghetti westerns and they are considered to be, you know, kind of gritty, intense, uh, lots of good action and uh, yeah, it's they are the what most people consider to be the western and I believe I spoke to you prior to recording this podcast. I believe this is one of the first westerns you've watched. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. I've I've watched a couple, but I can't recall their names. So right, I think I might have seen Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I remember watching one really complex one that has it goes a really long time, and it has one of the so all of them <laughs> one of the wars in the middle of it, like one of the American, like I think like the war with the Spanish or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. I forget uh, which one it is. That's that's the only one that comes to mind, but I don't recall the whole thing. This is a nice intro to Western, I think. Okay. Cool. Uh, it's a nice it's a nice soft It's a palatable Western. Easy intro, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's a nice little spritz of comedy, as you said. There's the nice camaraderie between Paul Newman's uh, character and Robert Redford's. Uh, it's yeah, it all ties up nice and neat. Hmm. Mm. There. I mean, we'll talk about it more after the spoilers, but mm. they're fucking just they mix so well, so well, and they on camera. and the way that they uh, kind of build their characters is delightful. Yeah. Um. They feel really, really real. I I super super enjoyed that. I think. Uh, I do have some problems with this film, but I think the yeah, that is the core of the film, and I think that works really, really well. So absolutely. So would you uh, would you recommend people watch this film, Douglas? Absolutely. Um, I've said I feel like I've said this a lot about a lot of the movies at the back end of this two fifty is uh-huh. to that this is a good intro film to a genre. And I'm going to say that... We had that with Casino Royale as well, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that again for Butch Cassidy. This is my first time watching Butch Cassidy, mind you. Uh, We interrupt this episode of the 250 as we regret to inform you that Douglas has had a lapse of judgment when speaking about Butch Cassidy. The film he just spoke of, Butch Cassidy, is actually a film set in rural Australia. Released in 1987, starring Paul Hogan and directed by Hans Bachmann, the film follows a group of lone outlaw cats as they all work together to find the long-lost city in the bush. One can then begin to understand how this plot structure would result in the confusion Douglas experienced when he intended to speak about the film Butch Cassidy. We apologise for Douglas's lack of a brain and now bid you return to your regularly scheduled podcast. Thank you. This is my first time watching Bush Cassidy, mind you. Uh, having recorded this po- uh, this episode, I watched Butch Cassidy specifically for the two five zero, and I've never seen it prior. I think that yeah, this film is a wonderful intro to westerns. It sets out what a western kind of does, the feel of a western, the setting, the costume design, the locales, gives all of that uh, in a very nice. Uh, visual palatable matter and yeah I think it's great good run shit fuck (laughs) alright what (laughs) that was very in depth I don't know (laughs) 
Are you sorry, pre- are you just sorry. okay? You're recording this, and then when you go back and edit it, you're just gonna transcribe what you said so you can put it in your letterbox review. No, <laughs> the, the whole point of my letterbox is that I'm putting in uh, different words. <laughs> I say I different know, things. <laughs> I type the different words. I type it to different words. <laughs> I I liked it a lot as well. I found myself. It's weird. It was just. First and foremost, just really fucking fun. Mm. And I guess I guess Guardians was very much like that as well. Yeah. But uh, especially the first half of the film. Uh, it's just, oh man, it's just fun. It's, it's a real kind of rollicking adventure. It's a romp. Um, so yeah, I've I, I, that I, word I, a lot lately. Romp. A romp. Yeah, I um I do have my issues with the film, but I would uh, highly recommend it to for people to watch. Yeah, for sure. I and think, I'll be I think it was a really good time. I'll be very interested to hear what those issues are in the spoiler section. In the spoiler time, if you watch, if you listen past this point without watching the film, I have I've got nothing. I should stop. Can we just kill this bit? <laughs> do, uh, this is the point. Wanna, do you want to kill wa- it? Watch the film okay. before you listen to the spoilers. Okay. Is this bit dead? No, no, no. Sure, she got to be quiet for the for the foghorn. Oh, sorry. Uh, foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, that's a joke, son. Don't you get it? Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> good job not making that weird, Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said foghorn, and then I just think of foghorn Leghorn. You know foghorn Leghorn, No, you just needed right? to be quiet. <laughs> I'm, I was quiet, and I could add in <laughs> silence anyway. After you, ha- you had to have the last word, didn't Jeez. you? <laughs> It's a thing called post-production, Jonathan. It's what this podcast <laughs> thrives off of. Uh, <laughs> My number one issue with the film yeah. is its structure and its pacing. Gotcha. Okay. I, I think you have the first 30 minutes is a really classic, kid-friendly, very funny, very interesting piece of film. Yeah. You've then... So that's your your first heist, introducing the characters, kind of knitting everything together. Yep. You have the next half hour, so the second quarter of the film, is the escape after the second train ride, a train robbery, which was good, but I think slightly overstays as welcome. The and wait, which st- overstays as welcome? The the escape after, like, them running from the posse who were, like, hunting them down. So, that whole sequence. Yeah, I don't think it overstays is welcome by heaps, but it's, like, half an hour and it could have been 25 minutes. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next hour is head to Bolivia. They rob some banks. They go straight and... And then, and then, you know, and then the conclusion. And mm. it, it kind of feels sort of episodic almost, where, where the first, first bit of the film can easily be, this is a big chunk of the film. Like you could even have, here's an hour. This is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And, and they have their thing and they get away and they meet up with their friends and they run off into the sunset or whatever. Which obviously wouldn't be a great film because there's, you know, it's only an hour. Sure. But but then you have, you know, they get to the first place in Bolivia and it's kind of drab and they're like, oh, what do we do now? 
and then and then they rob their first bank and that kind of is its own little episode of they're robbing banks and they have their ups and downs in there and they're like okay we got to go straight let's uh, do this payroll job and that that's its own little slice and then the them robbing the payroll mule in the the forest or wherever it was that was that felt like its own tiny little slice and then the like nothing it felt more disconnected there i don't know i don't know can you chip in i feel like i'm just talking to myself I, no sorry i That's i just right. i didn't okay. want to i didn't want to interrupt your train of thought yeah. i just yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back on the film and see where yeah i can i can completely get your the episodic nature of yeah, the film. And, and I guess I, I did some reading and they they wanted to kind of lower the comedy as they kind of went to the conclusion. So, it felt like the conclusion still had some weight. Yeah, definitely. Which I, it sort, does. Of, I sort of get. Mm. But what that ends up doing is it just makes the film feel... It makes them feel more desperate and uh, just... It, it just becomes a bit of a bummer. <laughs> it does take a very hard left turn. It goes downhill end. very quickly. It's yeah. really... It's like, what kind of funny stuff is there in the second half? There's the first robbery, robbery which kind of goes a bit awry because they can't speak Spanish that well. There's the payroll situation where... Uh, I thought the, the payroll name? guy was fantastic. He was he was amazing. Mr. Garrett. Mr. Garrett. Bingo. Mr. Garrett. <laughs> he, was, he was great. And he was... That really stuck out because everything had been so miserable so grab, yeah. <laughs> for like 15 minutes before mm. that. Well, you still get Butch and uh, Sundance kind of doing their little jibber-jabber, but it's not yeah, as... Yeah, and you do a bit, but you can tell from them they're just like, ah, fuck. They're getting, well, they're, they're getting worn down. They're getting worn down by this posse chasing after mm. them all the goddamn time. I just don't feel like it was necessary. Okay. Because to really tone it down that much. Because the ending is still pretty funny like the yeah, ending itself yeah. he's like uh, what was the, what's the line he says um oh yeah he's like oh for a moment there i thought we were in trouble and they're yeah. like all right let's do this and, and they like, run out. out yeah yeah you could have had comedy up to that point you could have had comedy up till the 10 minutes where they're sitting there in the house and they're like ah oh, fuck like i don't know it, it takes you, a very hard left turn you do get this odd build up of tension when the army starts rolling in and you get these long segments of them well long quote unquote setting mm. themselves up on the rooftops and everything and you know you get the impending sense of danger but i think that's more it's the old i think school... that final scene was fine yeah i think that i i didn't have a real problem with that because sure. that felt like this is the time we really ramp up the seriousness and probably had the characters quipping a little bit more in amongst that mm. but yeah that's totally fine to be like this is a bad situation yes. and this is where it, it's getting really real because they've been found out and they need to try and escape i think that was fine i it's just the stuff before it was just kind of sad <laughs> <laughs> sorry what were you saying i interrupted you no 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 it's okay i just this just in any sad movies in the two five oh Jonathan no go. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> Casino I Royale can upset Bond no go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm uh, just seeing the common trend here. Sorry. 
and and wanna... like even like that ending when you really think about it like they kind of play it off but that ending is like oh yeah they fucking get shot to death oh, by absolutely. the Bolivian army I was I was anticipating but, for them to come running out and them just immediately get peppered <laughs> by rifles and have this glorious shot where they're being filled with lead but I don't know I like to I liked I liked, have... I liked the the freeze frame in the end. I thought that was really cool. I think that was a really nice way to end it. I wish they hadn't had the gunshots after that, but I thought it was fine. I like to have the the thought that maybe they did, you know, at least scrape by and fight for a little bit rather than just immediately getting peppered. Yeah. But I think that that yeah. kind of also depends on who you are as an audience member. Do you have that level of optimism and hope and faith in Butch and Sundance that they might <laughs> actually be able to scramble their way out of things or are they just are you pessimistic like Jonathan and they're just straight boned well well realistic like Jonathan I should say they were clearly just trying to be in line with the historical Out, account yeah outnumbered <laughs> where they got found like like that final scene is you know exactly what fucking happened i think there was they yeah the mule was a real thing um i think there was only three or four people in the town so there was the sheriff and maybe a deputy and and some other guys but then the army came in after that and and they did get shot by the army i believe or no i think they didn't actually run out i think there were some gunshots and it was implied from what they found that they shot themselves oh shit Um, really yeah um, do, you want me because, to, do you want me to run a fact check on this? Uh, you can, but I, I think it's I think it's right. Um, but I thought that was fine. That whole last scene was fine. It just... The film was just getting sadder and sadder from... Yeah. It, it was on a high and the New York trip, and then they go to Bolivia, and they start squabbling over, like... Instead of squabbling over, like, oh, you're being an absolute idiot, you dumb bitch, and they're like, ha, 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 you're such an... You're, wow, what a goof. It's just like... He's just like... Butch, you fucked up. This place sucks. And it's just like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, okay, now I'm I'm just reading up on the actual, you know, Butch Cassidy and uh, mm-hmm. Longabaugh. The authorities entered the house the next morning where they found two bodies with numerous bullet wounds to the arms and legs. The man assumed to be Longabaugh had a bullet wound in the forehead and the man thought to be Cassidy had a bullet hole in the temple. The local police were spe- uh, speculated that judging from the positions of the bodies, Cassidy had probably shot the fatally wounded Longabaugh to put him out of his misery and then topped himself off. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but I think if they'd done that, that would have been... Oh, God, what a bummer even of a so. fucking <laughs> ending. Jesus. That ending, that ending, that ending scene, fine. Yeah. Really don't have a problem with it. I thought it was pretty fun. I think it was a good bit of action and they had to be kind of clever about how they got out of that. I thought that was, I thought it was pretty good. And I, I just, I love the freeze frame at the end. I thought that was great. Yeah, such a nice freeze frame too. So, yeah. so like action. I love it. And I believe this was, I, I mentioned it being a buddy cop film, but I believe this happened before the classic buddy cop films happened. Um, like the buddy cop genre. Well, didn't the buddy cop, the buddy cop genre kind of kick off in, I want to say like 1980s? Um, let's see what we get. Because, I mean, you got Lethal Weapon, which is Mel Gibson, Danny Glover. Uh, But I think it was, I think it was... That's 1987, I know that for sure. Yeah, Lethal Weapon's 87. Um, Popularized by 48 Hours, starring Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. When Uh, was that? 82. 
Okay, so yeah. This uh, is before... Kur- Kurosawa's film Stray Dog was considered a precursor to the buddy cop film genre. Interesting. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not... It's considered a precursor, you know. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so, so yeah, something like early 80s. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Something like that. I, I guess, um, what, like, buddy cop, like, shows, maybe? Um, there's a show that... Starsky and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch is mid-70s. Okay. Right. So, so this kind of came before that, which is, which is interesting. But that freeze frame is, like, classic buddy cop film ending. Like... Totally. Yeah. I, I, I'm really getting tied up on literally a single frame of this film. <laughs> <laughs> and it snaps to it snaps to sepia as well. Yes. Like it, yeah, the color it, like, it's like a reconverging reconverging with what the film was like at the start. Mm. Um I I just love that. I thought that was really really cool. That that all the use of the sepia. I I loved the um the New York uh, what's it called? montage sequence, yeah. Where they've edited the actors into like historical photos and they've done a really fucking good job of it as well. Yeah, that reminded me a lot of uh, Terry Jones. You know how Terry Jones always used to do a lot of that animation? Uh, Not Terry Jones, Terry Gilliam. Um, Who's Terry Gilliam? uh, Monty Python. Oh, right. Um, Was it Terry Gilliam? He did the... uh, He does... I think it's Terry Gilliam who does all of that animating stuff for Monty Python's Flying Circus. So, you know, he does the foot stomp and... Uh, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. It, it reminded me of that, just with how it's got all of these awesome little cutouts and stuff of their faces neatly woven into... Uh, but it was really well done. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, there are a couple of shots where I was like, no, I actually had to, I have to actively look for them because they've been edited in so well. I want to say photoshopped. This is 69. Absolutely, like, yeah. I don't even know how they did that. That's nuts. I, I thought that was really cool and I thought it's it's kind of like a neat way to yeah, to ground the film back in like the historical roots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. roots. Um especially because the, the the very first scene of the film is old footage of some train robbers, I assume I assume from an old On film. On the I cinema screen, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. In in that same sepia. I loved that as an effect. I thought that yeah, was Yeah, the really, intro really was clever. fantastic. I really liked how they did the intro. As a person, you've seen Westerns before. Sure have. That first scene where they're introducing Butch and Sundance, is that Classic kind of Western shtick. Just the way it's shot? Absolutely. Is that similar? All yeah. the close-ups, okay. lots of focus on eyes. Uh, yeah. That's a big Western thing, especially in intros. And the the mystery, the lack of sound, really, just the focus on ambient noise starting in the dusty town and a cowboy kind of stumbling and walking his way around. It's all, yeah, mm. it, it's traditional Western fanfare. Mm-hmm. That, that does such a, that, in, that intro does such a good job of characterizing the characters as well. Sundance and Butch, yeah. And Butch. And it kind of, the film takes its time to, because they then ride back to the hole in the wall. Yeah. It really takes its time to, you know, have them have this little conversation where you can kind of pick up everything about their characters. You've just seen Sundance shoot this dude's gun off, <laughs> off his, of his belt, hip and yeah. then shoot shoots it progressive shots Across so it like floor. flies into the corner. <laughs> I loved how um I love how when I forget what he says, 
But as soon as Butch is like, oh shit, he's about to like draw, he just like dashes to the wall and like pushes up against the wall so he doesn't get hit. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're these characters that clearly know each other really, really well. I, I really, really like that. They're and pre-established relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're kind of riding on the whole buddy cop thing once again. Yeah. But they... They yeah uh, they seemed really convincing. I uh, I really got them and their relation <laughs> their relationship with um, uh, Etta Etta yes Etta Place is the name Etta. of the girl. Uh, what was this? I was going through the letterboxed mm. uh, reviews and I took a screenshot of one of them. Yeah. Uh, what was it? <laughs> the I said this to you. I said this to you yesterday. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Let's see if I can find it. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Edda, this is my boyfriend, the Sundance Kid, and this is Sundance's boy- boyfriend, Butch Cassidy. Sundance is gay, but he's straight for me, but is gay for Butch, and Butch is really gay for Sundance, and I love Butch. It's not that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's that that relationship was weird, but Just, it was yeah. Touching on that, I think I liked how they did dodge the love triangle. Yeah, they had it. I like how everything was just kind of out on the table. That there's, you know, she's with. Sundance, but there is obviously a little bit of feels for for Butch as well. Yeah, but it felt like everything was out on the table, and they didn't needlessly harp on about you know, oh Butch loves Etta, but yeah, she's already yeah. bequeathed to Sundance. <laughs> like you know, it's they didn't harp on all that bullshit, and I really liked that. There's I did appreciate that. Yeah. All of the stuff that happens around Etta is great too. Like when um. They come back and they've got he's Butch has got Edda on the bicycle and he goes, Um, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm stealing your girlfriend and he goes he kind of scratches his back for a few seconds and he goes, ah, take her, take her. Yeah, you can have Because <laughs> I was so ready for Sundance to be like, That's my girlfriend, goddammit and like, you know, like pull a gun <laughs> on him or something and then he just goes, Ah, take her I was like, Oh <laughs> And then the wholesome little bit with Sundance and Edda where they've come back from you know after chasing away from the posse and they've jumped into the the ravine and everything and Sundance goes don't make a big thing about it okay make a big thing about it and he hugs her I thought that was super cute super super cute I still don't know how I feel about the basically the scene where she's introduced (laughs) where he's sitting in her house and like pointing a gun at her yeah I was like oh "Oh, god oh no I know this is a bit but it feels really gross. Warning, warning. <laughs> but I am wondering if that's a, that's a, you know, this film's 50 years old. I, it might have just been... True, yeah. It, less uncomfortable back then. I'm not sure. I guess, and maybe, I guess it's totally a thing that would have happened in the West. They would have, uh, there would have been men who fucking just creepily sit around in women's houses and just mm. wait and then force them to... To mm. do the deed yeah exactly it felt it didn't feel like he was joking around it felt very insidious but then yeah again maybe it was just a bit and yeah. they they both knew that it was a bit even though she looks you know reasonably petrified it was yeah. it's all a bit and my, i don't know maybe they have some role play thing going on i I'm not gonna, well in that case yeah i'm not gonna touch I don't that want i think shame yeah i think go your hardest exactly i think i think sundance is a bit of a you know he's a complicated guy <laughs> There's some stuff going on there that's a little bit unresolved. Uh, I love this I, character, yeah. I wrote down that Sundance Kid is awesome. He's, you know, mm. physically unimposing, but mentally intriguing. I liked that. Mm. But then there was this one close-up that they got of Robert Redford and just his 
eyes and his hair and the mustache and it just it oh i i i then wrote down i take it back sundance is one hot bastard i just <laughs> oh my god man Ooh, I was swooning pretty hard when when they had that nice little close up on Sundance. It was, yeah, I it got me. He's a little hottie. I can get behind that. And I can only imagine when this came out. I bet just oh, all girls would just been all over Paul Newman and Robert Redford for these roles. Just their smooth talking, gun slinging fellas. I oh, I feel like they would have had built such a reputation for these characters he he would have been in a pretty comfy spot let's say that yeah yeah so I, I, pleased with himself. I wrote i take it back sundance is dreamy af <laughs> <laughs> this is a completely separate thing for but it. um i found this really hit me in the scene the final scene with the army mm-hmm. it really popped out to me how i don't have a better term for it it just feels legit like the there's there's like a hundred extras all in these like pristine uniforms all like, you know, getting information and stuff. Mm. And you, you look back at it, I guess there's less scope for that kind of thing, but all the sets are fucking amazing. Yeah. They, they're like, they're just so good that you don't think about it. Props, costume design, set design. Yeah, it's all... I wrote down specifically that I thought the costume design was fantastic for all of the characters. I thought Mm. Butch and uh, Sundance, when they come to Bolivia and they're all kitted up in those, uh, you know, gentleman outfits with the bowler hats and the suits and everything. God, they were looking suave as hell in those outfits. (laughs) God damn. I completely agree. In terms of production Mm. quality, this movie hits a nail on the head. Okay, music boy. Oh, give me some music insight. Music insight. Uh, mm. uh well, rain drips. Uh, rain drips. <laughs> rain drips. Rain drives. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Was as I said previously in uh, this podcast is was written specifically for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, and it was written by Bert Bacharach. Now, Bert Bacharach, if you if you have a little hop, skip, and a jump over to his IMDb page right now, listeners. You will find that Burke Bacharach has 644 credits for soundtrack. Wow. Okay. Now, keep in mind, these are things like he wrote a specific song that was then included in a TV show. Right. So they acquired the rights to play this song in their film or TV show or whatever it is. Okay, I see. Of a particular song that... Bert Bacharach wrote but he is considered to be probably one of the most influential composers for 20th century pop music in terms of weird chord progressions jazz harmonies uh, odd little selection of instruments that he picks for his orchestras he Mm. wrote he co-wrote many things uh, many hits that went on to uh, top in the Billboard Hot 100. Some highlights being This Guy's In Love With You, They Long To Be Close To You, Arthur's Theme, Best That You Can Do, and That's What Friends Are For. All of those, uh, I think Arthur's Theme won an Oscar for Best Original Song. And uh, I think, uh, oh, who is it? It's um, Fits in the Tantrums. Fits in the Tantrums recorded a cover for it. Um, they, wow. they did a remake of... 
Arthur's theme, which is from, I believe, the movie Arthur. And they, yeah, did a cover of it for the 2011 remake. But anyway, that's a big little side tangent I just took. (laughs) That's all right. He's a really, really cool guy. And he did a lot, a lot of work in the specifically 70s, 80s. He did a lot of his finest work. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of skimming around now. Gosh, like maybe every fifth <laughs> credit is for someone using raindrops keep falling on my head in some TV show. Absolutely, yeah. As well as, what are the other ones? What's New Pussycat? Yeah. Bah, bah, what's New Pussycat? <laughs> uh, that's what Friends are for. What the world needs now is love is a big one. Yeah. That's interesting. But still, fuck, that means he's so pervasive, I guess. He's just in everything. Yep, yep. He's that prolific. Uh, He did all of the uh, soundtracks for the Austin Powers films. I did just see that, yes. Which I love. So good. Um, And he also did... Which is good. He also did did some James Bond stuff. So for him to like... Yeah, he did the 1967 1967 Casino Royale. So the... So good. Not the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, but the one before that, which is... um, uh, it's got Peter Sellers as Bond, and I believe it's more comedy focused. Nineteen sixty seven Casino Royale. Oh, um, I mean, it, it would be. It you does... think with it's got Peter Sellers as Bond. You know who Peter Sellers is, right? I don't. Oh wait, Chief Inspector Closeau. Nineteen sixty seven. In an early spy spoof, aging Sir James Bond comes out of retirement to take on Smirsh. <laughs> Smirsh. I. I think this needs to be in the snobs. This sounds well, fucking ridiculous. No, hang on. We need to watch it first and then see whether it actually... <laughs> whether it should be in the 250. All right. Okay. Guess the rating. Guess the IMDb rating. Uh, yeah, mm, I'm going to give it like a maybe a four. 5.2. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not as bad. Still. Yeah, it's still, yeah. I mean, it's... Still pretty rough. Just above average. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that's not actually how IMDb ratings work. Yeah, all right. That's okay, look. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, Burt Bacharach. Cool Sorry, guy. distracted. No, you're all right. Yeah, awesome guy. The film was pretty light on music. Yes. It mostly uses it in montages. Mm. And there's a couple so of little instrumental a- beats, I think, in the, yeah. the cross-country chase. There's a lot of good music amongst all of that. But but really not heaps. No. Um, There's which, a lot of silence, is which is nice, and that's very Western again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. It didn't really feel like it was missing missing it. No, as well. yeah. And the and the spots where it was used were really fun. I really really like. There was, I think it's their escape sequence when they've got the montage of the Bolivian banks. Yes. There's. <laughs> There's a montage of... Yeah, so the, throughout these, there's acapella music going, <laughs> which was hilarious. Like... Oh, yes. Like, really simple acapella stuff, um, which which really... Oh, I yeah, really, really when enjoyed they're robbing that. that guy's bank and... Uh, I, from what and I assumed... And they're, like, run around the corner and the, and the cops go past. And, from what I assumed about that bit with the... It's Sundance and Edda... Uh, you know, mm. at the teller, and you know you can't hear their their voices because there's just the acapella music. But what I was assuming happened in that bit is that Edda had a gem, and she was reluctant to give it to the bank because she was worried about its safety. 
and then the bank manager comes over and goes, Oh, don't worry, our banks are nice and safe and secure. You want to see? Come on, we'll go down and take a look. I think that was what happened. That scene was very good. So good. That scene was... That was a nice bit of comedy in an otherwise bleak section of the film. The bit where the bank manager turns around and he sees that Sundance has got the gun like, on him. Just his uh, face. <laughs> just so disappointed and upset with himself. So and, just like, and he, like, gives him the keys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I think the music was used really, really well. Where it was. It was really sparse. Yes, yeah. Um, like, bits with the but, gang in the early, early stages. I don't think there's any music yeah. amongst all of that. Like, the Hole in the Wall gang. Um, yeah. Actually, touching on uh, Hole in the Wall Gang, the I loved all of the naming uh, styles yes. for them. News being called News. I was like, why is he called News? And then he pulls out He's his little like, you know, newspaper clippings. And I was like, oh. I loved him. He was so good. Cutie. <laughs> the, the, what's, what's, what's the show? He goes, oh, you can shut up now, News. He's like, not yet not yet till I've got to the, the good, good part. part. Yeah. And you've got uh, Sweet Face covering yeah. Forum. And- well, what's what's the dude's name? There's like a dude whose name is just like Flat Nose. Flat Nose, or yeah, yeah. And he legitimately they give this nice side profile of him where you can see he just yeah. literally has like a flat nose. Flat nose curry. This is probably going to be a bit of a a a thing that probably not a lot of our listeners are going to get, but I enjoyed seeing the influence here from Red Dead Redemption. So Red Dead Redemption 2, I think specifically, took some influence from Butch Cassidy in its right. story and the the idea of a gang, you know, all kind of coming together, but there's, you know, constantly a bit of power struggle within the gang, you know, who's really the leader and uh, things all not kind of going to plan all the time. Uh, the heist aspects, of course. Um, I think, yeah, there was definitely... Red Dead took a bit of a a couple of notes from Butch Cassidy, from what I could see yeah, from this. Cheeky bastards. I'll bet I'll bet this film has influenced so much shit. Surely. But uh, you'd be surprised. Okay. Not a lot. Um I mean that's obviously okay. the Well, it's probably it's probably not it's well, sorry, it's potentially not stuff that people have talked sure, about. Sure, yeah. But I think, I mean, that's it, just the first thing that popped into my head was Red Dead Redemption because, you know, yeah. obviously it's the most parallel connection you can make. They're yeah, both... you've played a bunch of that game, you fucking Westerns. Nerd. Hey, it's a good game. It was it's fine. one of the best games of 2019. Everyone go play Red Dead Redemption 2. It's a good time. <laughs> if you like Westerns. Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys. <laughs> um, Cowboys. Hey, Douglas. Hey, Jonathan. Do you have any trivia for me? Oh, heck, I got some trivia for you, Jonathan. You want me to read you some trivia? Fuck yeah. You want me to read facts about things that I kind of know things about? Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The real Butch Cassidy, whose name was actually Robert Leroy Parker, which they say in the film, got his nickname because he once worked in a butcher's shop. Butch Cassidy. Uh, Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot simpler than Than I was expecting. Yeah. And yeah. the Sundance Kid, real name Harry Alonzo Longabau, uh, got his nickname because he once was arrested in the Wyoming town of Sundance. Huh. Sundance Kid. That's... Yeah, okay, I guess so. I... Yeah? Okay, I guess that it makes sense. It all checks out, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I was really expecting something more in-depth than that, but I guess they just... It just it didn't... does the job and gets out loud. Well, I guess, you know, they didn't want to think too hard about what they're their monikers should be yeah 
yeah. you kind of don't want to spend too much time thinking about that and it's got to be catchy they didn't have... and, yeah <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like there would have been a lot of pressure back in back in the day to come up with a, a good outlaw name <laughs> i mean shit imagine just what's this what's this fucking nerdy <laughs> is his real name what's sitting the there with fuck? like a cigarette over candlelight yeah. and he's staring down at a piece of paper and he's yeah scribbled Kick names that dude out, out of the fucking gang god damn it <laughs> um <laughs> timmy mcgee ain't working um <laughs> flips the table <laughs> um <laughs> on the first day of shooting involving the train robbery scenes uh catherine yep. ross who plays at a place came to the set to watch there were five cameras and only four operators so cinematographer conrad hall put her on the extra camera he showed her how to operate it how to move it to get her shot director george roy hill was furious but said nothing the whole day at the end of Mm. the day however he banned her from the set except for when she was working wow what a whingy bastard (laughs) so from what i've been reading more and more about the trivia and things George Roy Hill is a very talented director, but apparently he's a bit of a prick to get along with. Mm. Which I think is, you know, that's got to be a thing that's that happens. Kind of that happens with, here and there with with Hollywood. There's or just very creative, into or not, I guess, intellectual. Even that, just quote unquote geniuses of the time, they have a bit of personality baggage to go with it. Right. Um, right. But uh, carrying on from that, uh, Catherine Ross in- enjoyed shooting the silent bicycle riding sequence best because it was handled by the film's uh, film crew's second unit rather than the director. She said, quote, oh. any day away from George Roy Hill was a good one, end quote. <laughs> and that was obviously after she'd been scolded and banned from the set for operating the camera. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, obviously a little bit of bad Well, that's a bummer, I guess. According to William Goldman, his screenplay originally was titled The Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy. As I said uh, prior in the the episode, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman read the script at approximately the same time and agreed to do it, with McQueen playing The Sundance Kid. When McQueen Hmm. dropped out, the names reversed in the title as Newman was a superstar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and now that it is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I can't think of it as the Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy. Yeah, for me that doesn't sound yeah. right. I think I think name and nickname, or like name that sounds like a name, and then name that is clearly not a name, works in better. that order. Seems better. Yeah. I I feel yeah. like yeah, it seems more. I don't know, natural, odd mm. human condition. So. In order to get the shot of the super posse jumping out of the train on their horses, the door on the opposite side of the train car was left open and they had a ramp placed out of view on that side of the train. So the horses would run up the ramp and then leap out on the side where they had the camera. And the camera is like, you know, there's that shot where it's positioned kind of low. Oh, they're like, because they jump over it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, because obviously in real life, the horses would not have had room <laughs> in the train car to make that much of a leap. On no momentum, they, yeah. Yeah, they need the run-up to be able to actually leap that far. So, I don't know, I thought that was kind of cool. They did a good job of hiding it. I Absolutely. didn't notice. 
mm, mm. well, it's only a very short it is, yeah. uh, shot, and then it just cuts to them just riding. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was I thought that was really clever. Yeah. I did. I did like uh, um, how they did that whole that that train. Uh, they do all these shots of like the train, like the pistons pumping, and like mm, close up shots mm. of like the black metal and stuff. Like, like very obviously going like this is an imposing figure. I just thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, and them all looking to the smoke yeah. in the distance when the train's coming up. Oh yeah, I love that shit. Anyway. Uh, with nine wins, it currently holds record for the British Academy Awards. Uh, so it's oh, had a total wow. of nine wins. Uh, it won for picture, actor for Robert Redford, mm-hmm. actress for Catherine Ross, direction for George Roy Hill, screenplay, cinematography, film editing, sound, and score. Fucking hell. So it won every award it possibly could have as its 10th nomination was a dual nomination for Best Actor. Wow. So between Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Oh, okay, okay. Far out, all right. <laughs> Robert Redford got it. Yeah, I mean, fair enough as well. Like, Paul Newman had already had his, like, time in the... His stint, t- yeah, yeah, yeah. He's already up there. He doesn't need any more fame <laughs> and glory. Yeah. Um, all of the Bolivia scenes were filmed uh, on location in Mexico. Wow. Where almost the entire cast and crew and director George Roy Hill came down with Montezuma's Revenge, which is severe diarrhea caused by drinking Mexico's notoriously polluted waters. (laughs) Only Robert Redford, Paul Newman, and Catherine Ross were spared because they refused to drink the water catered on the set and stuck to drinking soda and alcohol for the duration of the shoot. (laughs) Well... (laughs) <laughs> Probably good, because for all the people you don't want to be, you know, having violent diarrhea in the middle of a, a film, it's probably the lead actors. The actors, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like you'd have to put uh, a fair few things on hold if you couldn't get through a scene because Robert yeah. Redford had to shit himself before he could, <laughs> before he could get through it. Um, Paul Newman and Robert Redford uh, allegedly had as much camaraderie off screen as they did on. That's that's nice. Paul Newman said that this was the most fun he'd ever had making a film. And Aww. he and Robert he and Robert Redford drank a lot of beer in Mexico. <laughs> oh bad. Well they weren't drinking <laughs> the water, were they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They were drinking the alcohol. They were keeping it real. Do you know Hello Dolly? Uh wait, why do I know Hello Dolly? Uh nineteen sixty nine, so same oh, year. You know what Hello Dolly is? What's that? It's it's a Vietnamese restaurant we used to go to. We used to go to. We'd been there before. <sighs> That's where I was thinking about it. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I don't know about also, the film Hello Dolly. <laughs> it's also a musical, oh, it's a musical. movie. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, directed by Gene Kelly, starring Barbara Streisand, uh, Walter <laughs> Matthau. Uh, what? Sorry, no, I'm just thinking about Hello Dolly again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, the so this movie Butch Cassidy yep. was filmed roughly the same time as Hello Dolly on the soundstage next door. Director George Roy Hill believed that the studio would allow him to film the New York City scenes on Dolly's sets, since the two films' daily shooting schedules were totally different. Yeah. After production started, though, the studio informed him that it wanted to keep the sets for Dolly a secret, and so refused him permission to work around this. 
Hill and Robert Redford, Paul Newman and Catherine Ross simply posed on the sets and took photos of them. He then inserted images of the three stars into a series of 300 actual period photos and spliced the two different sets, real and posed, together to form the New York City montage. That's so good. And, and honestly, that, that, that shot gave me so much joy, that, that scene, that chapter. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. It was, it was great. <laughs> Yeah. It's got yeah. such a cool vibe to it. Totally, yeah. Um, and just, yeah, the way that it's all presented is yeah, so, so good. And mm. the fact that now that I know that they involved a little bit of Hello Dolly, that makes me super happy because I love Hello Dolly. Yeah. Is that um, on the list? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's it, it didn't get very good reviews. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Paul Newman often kidded Robert Redford about his tardiness, one suggesting they should rename the movie Waiting for Lefty, because Redford is uh, left-handed. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, Waiting for Lefty is actually a 1935 play by Clifford Odets about a group waiting on the arrival of a man called Lefty, who ultimately never shows up. So it's a take on uh, Waiting for Godot. Okay, yeah, I was going to say that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is similar plot. Uh. Waiting for... Someone who ultimately never shows up, and it's absurdist comedy, basically. Hmm. Um, but I just like the idea of Paul Newman going, uh, Lefty, <laughs> uh, obviously in an Australian accent, because Paul Newman is totally Australian. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's all I had. I just, I, ugh, I'm i loving finding all these trivia bits about the movies it we're watching. It's very fun. It kind I, of- I, do, I do really enjoy it. It adds a real another layer to the film, I think, and it gives a bit of a, a nice sense of an understanding of the behind the scenes of what happens, which I really like. Mm. And just some of those tidbits where you go, oh, I wonder how they did that. Or, oh, I wonder what happened in this bit. You, you get it. You get to listen. You get to know. Because we give you the inside scoop here on the 250. The only place you can get this information. 250. I really like the trivia because it means that uh, we are relying on hard facts instead of the insane ramblings of just two <laughs> fucking complete imbeciles who don't know what they're well, talking about. Well, Jonathan, you know where you can find us, uh, two babbling idiots, more? You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram yeah. at 250pod. I got the YouTube set up, bitch. It looks good. Yeah, I'm like, really legitimately good. really proud of... Uh, I fucking destroyed my computer running after effects on the backlog of episodes i had my i straight up had my computer rendering for 24 hours it was bad wow Um, wow well if you want to if you want to scratch jonathan's itch and you know make it so that all of that rendering and uh pain for his computer was actually (laughs) worth something Go and check us out on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, specifically mm. YouTube, though, uh, at 250pod, which is T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H-P-O-D. That's the one where... Wait, did you mention Instagram? I feel like you didn't. I did. I said YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Okay, I wasn't listening. Instagram. God. Instagram's the nice primary place to uh, to check them all out, I reckon. Definitely. Like they're yeah. all... If they're you're going to f- check us out on any of those, Instagram is probably... The real the... benefit to the Instagram is that you can then get to everything else from there. So, you know, but... And that'll keep you updated on what's coming out next mm. and all that jazz. We have little so, tidbits, yeah. little teasers. Yep, absolutely. And if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us at the... 250pod at gmail.com. That's it. Uh, we also, if you want to check the list... 
uh, because it has changed the list that we are running off of from the start of the year it is bit.ly slash 250pod uh, bit.ly slash uh, that is we should put the snubs on there do you reckon I kind of like leaving it a surprise like, actually yeah I, I think you might be onto something actually I think that's I, I kind of like having the anticipation of like oh what are they going to put ooh, on what next what are they going to do next because oh our listeners are totally thinking that yeah exactly <laughs> Hey man, gotta be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find us, uh, the the podcast, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts, Google Home, and Amazon Echo. Weekly check in. How's Podcast Bean coming along, Jonathan? Uh, Podbean. I've given up. You've given up? Yeah, I've officially given up. Fuck that site. <laughs> There's no easy way to do it. Uh, wow. So, so bit of a bit of inside baseball, folks. Um, podcasts run on the same technology that blogs do, which is basically you just send a request to a website and the website goes, okay, here's number one, here's number two, here's number three. And within those elements can be whatever you want. It can be a blog post, it can be a video, or it can be a big chunk of audio. It's a very simple piece of technology. And that's why it's very easy to put it on different services. Cause you just say, go to this URL and it says, okay. <laughs> except Podbean those guys can go fuck themselves you have to register a whole new account and like re-upload all your shit fuck it I'm done fuck those cut, guys cut it- to like episode like I don't know hey guys uh, have you heard about this great new podcast listening yeah, app it's yeah, called like- it's called Podbean and they're giving us extensive amounts of money to advertise we would love we'd like to thank our sponsors Podbean oh my god <sighs> this is like this is a concept cry. I like to call anti-advertising it's yeah. where you so say you want to get sponsored by Nike what you do is you advertise Adidas and you um <laughs> and you say that Nike is full of pedophiles <laughs> Oh my god, that's like betting on the opposite end of the stock market. Yeah, and it's like, if you, Nike, if you want us to stop calling you horrid things, give us some money. <laughs> oh my god. We're, col- we're holding our advertisement ransom. Is it, Podbean, is that- make it fucking easier for me, and I'm all yours, baby. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I fucking- really- you're working something out there, Jonathan. Fuck's sake. I'm, glad, I'm glad you're getting it out though. Don't don't let it build up. Thanks, man. Thanks. This is I'm this is my can... this is like free therapy, this podcast. Well, if you'd like to read some reviews that are a little bit nicer, you can head <laughs> over to our letterbox review. How are these segues coming? I'm killing it. Oh, you're absolutely um, murdering it, bro. Our letterboxed uh, letterboxed is a website for uh, hosting uh, film reviews and allowing you to basically keep a little diary of the movies that you're watching, uh, list what movies you have watched, and it's just a generally I found it a really good site for yeah just keeping track of everything that we're doing on the two five zero and uh, putting things in a bit more of a a nicer cleaner more well thought out written <laughs> review uh and you can find my reviews uh at uh i e n z o k n i g h t that's enzo knight with a k all lowercase and um yeah if you just search up that username on letterbox you'll track me down uh and mine is uh upa that is u u u p a h uh, on Letterboxd, I have cute little reviews. I'm doing haikus. It's still very new and fun to me, and I enjoy it. 
It's great. I still I say this every time, but I just cannot get over your Casino Royale. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is going to be the last week I mention it, I promise. <laughs> but I just, every time I read it, I chuckle. <laughs> it's so good. So you want to go find out what it is? Head over to uh, our letterbox. Hint. Pages. I was very disappointed by the ending of Casino Royale. <laughs> Not because it was badly shot or written, but because... Uh, just what to happens. Find out. Don't spoil it. Why? Because of a secret. There it is. A secret. Uh-huh. All right. Well, you yeah. So I think I think after all my bitching, I would still highly recommend this film. Um, it totally. was it was a lot of fun. That's that's the thing. It I just it was just fun. It's just exciting and and goofy and you know sometimes I don't want to stretch my brain about why this film is good. I just want to sit there with a grin on my face. And then this film did that. And it was funny. And Absolutely. It was, it was, yeah, it was a good time. So, yep. so you know, basically, um, summary, I uh, don't listen to any of the bullshit that I've said. Uh, and I think that's just a good rule to live by. I Oh, my God. You literally get to tell our listeners. So, you remember that, like, one hour? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no one Disregard is, it all. No one is under the impression that this is, like, good, well-thought-out film critique, yeah, right? Okay. okay. Yeah, this no, is... Of course not. That's is, not what they're coming here for. <laughs> This is one where one step above basement dwellers, buddy. Like, yeah, yeah. Got, I mean, and if you are coming here for that, I mean, I'm whew. a I'm a bad trip away from like that rambling dude on the sidewalk saying the fucking end is nigh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not far off. <laughs> it's pure nonsense. Oh my god! Yeah, just uh, unadulterated asinine bullshit. Exactly, that's, exactly. That's what we are here at the two five zero. I just want to quickly touch on just the, again, support that we're receiving for the podcast. I think it's great. Uh, again, we're getting lots of listeners from France, and I'm seeing people pop in from Sweden, Brazil. Uh, just the the idea that we are actually having a worldwide reach here is kind of... It's kind of sick. We're, still, we're kind of still wrapping our brain around it. So it's kind of sick. Honestly, thank you very, very much for even just seeing those one listens a day, that makes it enough for me. The fact that there is someone out there besides us who is listening <laughs> to us both talk about movies is kind of, yeah, it's insane. And I just, yeah, thank you for all of your support. We really appreciate it. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's great. I feel I like you. I did this before, but that's the last time I'm going to say it, I promise. You guys are great. Cool. <laughs> I can't wait to quote this in the in the next episode. In the next one, yeah, yeah. Cut yeah. to me. Cut to. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, thank you for listening to the two five zero, and we look forward to seeing you again real soon. Bye bye. Have a lovely day. Have a terrible day. Fuck you. What? What are you doing? You can't say that. Fuck you. No. Mm-hmm.